0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. I want to start this morning talking about uh, the resurrection by reading to you something I read many years ago. There's some things you read that you never forget and you use over and over again. And this is from the Chicago Tribune way back in 1989. Okay, I was alive then. And th- this is a statement by a man who I have always been extremely uh Well, I've never liked this man. He came from the same town my father came from, which is New York City. Flushing. And I've always disliked this man because to me he represents what is wrong with New York City. Now listen to this. This man was asked what he thought about death, whether he was worried about it, and this was his answer. He said, no. Are you worried about death? No. I'm fatalistic, and I protect myself as well as anybody can. I prepare for things. But ultimately, we all end up going, no, I don't believe in reincarnation, heaven, or hell. No, I don't believe in reincarnation, heaven, or hell. But we go someplace... Do you know, I cannot, for the life of me, figure out where. This man is now your president. It's Donald Trump. And he can't figure out where. And God has spoken to us through his word, but he's also spoken to us through all creation. And he has shown us both death and rebirth in creation. And it's as constant as the seasons. One of the most precious promises of Scripture is at the beginning of Genesis, where God says, while the earth remains, springtime and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter will continue. We take it for granted. But boy, when spring comes, aren't you ready for it? You're just so ready for spring. And uh, and truth be told, maybe I'm weird, but I'm ready for fall too. (laughs) And you know, I'm ready to sit in the living room in winter. And around and around it goes, testifying to death and to resurrection. Death, resurrection. Seeds testify to this constantly. This is one of the reasons I'm constantly trying to get us not to be cremated. Don't be cremated. Because it's so beautiful to take your loved one and plant them in the soil and then put the dirt on top. When my dad died, uh, I just had this gut, gut desire. He died pretty young, and I had this gut desire that I wanted to, I wanted to be involved in burying him. You know, I had come from a church up in Wisconsin where, when Sam Westra died, we took him, we walked him out the side door of the church over to his grave, lowered him in the grave, sang at the grave, prayed at the grave, and then. The men and the children dumped the dirt on top of Sam. And the women went back in and fixed food. And the children ran from the food to the grave back and forth. And I wanted... I didn't want professionals being the ones that put the dirt on my dad. Because I believe that because Jesus was raised from the dead, my father will come alive again. And I'll see him. I love my dad. (laughs) And so I went... So the funeral director asked if it would be okay if I just put a little soil on my dad, you know, and they said, no, we don't, we don't allow that. And amazingly, I didn't make a stink about it. <laughs> you know, I just took it, you know. I was kind of discouraged and sad. Then, right at the end of the graveside service, the funeral director came over, and one of the gravediggers had this uh, five-gallon pail filled with dirt, he said, We heard that you wanted to put dirt on your dad. That was such a sweet thing. Donald Trump is surrounded by tulips and daffodils, forsythia, blue little violets. He's surrounded by seeds. He spits them out when he eats watermelon. And here we have this testimony that... All of us, good and evil together, will be raised from the dead. Every single person will rise. God's nature testifies to it, and God's word testifies. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Nobody will escape standing before God. You know, people can burn a body and then crush crush the body and say, I believe nothing, and it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. They can't remove God's judgment by having their bodies cremated. They can't do it. Because God will raise them. And those who die in their sins without the blood of Jesus washing them will go to hell. That's where they'll go. You know, we can be real proud and resistant here. (laughs) Um... You know, I don't like the preacher. I don't like my grandmother. (laughs) You know, whoever it is that warns you that you will be judged, you cannot like them. But they're just just witnesses. All they're doing is telling you, you know, if you, you remember the old days when you were driving down the road and somebody coming to you would flash their lights at you. They're just a witness. You know, there's a cop up there. There's a speed trap. You remember? You turn your lights on and off. Now we all use ways, right? And so we're just witnesses to you that God has said it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. So Donald Trump says, yeah, I don't believe in reincarnation, heaven or hell, but we go someplace. You know, I cannot for the life of me figure out where. Scripture speaks of this fear. Woody Allen says, I'm not afraid of dying. I I just don't want to be there when it happens. And that's the kind of pathetic sort of on the one hand, on the other hand, that Woody Allen lives in. He never does anything directly. You know, I just don't want to be there when it happens. And we laugh, but it's pathetic. At least Donald Trump says, I don't believe it, you know. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says this. Since then, the children share in flesh and blood. He, speaking of Jesus, himself likewise also partook of the same. So God took on flesh and blood. God took on flesh and blood. That through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Jesus took on flesh and blood so that he could absolutely, completely, and utterly have victory over Satan, who has the power of death. And that he might deliver those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. What do you think of that? I remember uh, when I first went in the ministry, you learn a lot quickly You're young, you're wet behind the ears, you know? It's like the first time I ever used a floor machine. They let me loose in a fancy house. Any of you ever used a floor machine? So I turned it on, and I'm cleaning the carpet, right? And all of a sudden, the power goes out. And I think, oh, I bet I blew a circuit. So I go down in the basement, and I find the circuit that's blown, and I flip it back on, right? And all of a sudden, I hear upstairs, like, blah, 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 blah. Well, it had, it had had a click button that you put on, and it would just hold the machine on so you didn't have to be gripping it. And I'd left it on, you know? And it was upstairs making mincemeat of the dining room, including a plate glass table, right? <laughs> and so you think about new pastors, and that's a good analogy. <laughs> Only thing is, it's not just plate glass, it's eternity, and it's souls. I remember going into my first dying room, and it was in the hospital, and it was a man that was dying of uh, of uh, congestive heart failure, which is a terrible way to die. And as he gasped for breath, he was in my church. His wife was out chain smoking in the in, in the visitors room. And as he gasped for breath, I said to him, uh, "Are you afraid to die?" And. Well, <laughs> I'm not afraid to die! And, of course, like like everybody like that, what you know is the one thing he's afraid of is dying. You know, this gruff dude that was able to bluster himself through all of life, honk the horn, and, you know, and all of a sudden, it's appointed the man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. And so in Hebrews, it says that Jesus came, took on flesh and blood so that he would have victory over Satan and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. So let me ask you the question. Um, Do you have fear of death? And are you a slave? Are you a slave to the fear of death? You might think from reading this that it's saying that there are some Weak people, <laughs> you know, who who have this particular weakness that they're afraid of death, you know. But it's really saying that it is the human condition to be afraid of death. Now, all of us are afraid of death. All of us. There's not one of us that isn't. Death is an enemy. Don't ever believe the people that tell you that death is just a part of the natural process and they're not afraid of dying. They're lying through their teeth if they have any left. We're all afraid of death. And the reason we're afraid of death is we know that God will judge us. And we all are completely aware of our sins. Okay? Death is the end, but it's also the beginning. And it is to be feared because it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. So when you pull over to the side of the road to allow the funeral procession to pass, what everybody thinks is you and you and you and you, but not I. I'm not going to die. When you lost your father or your mother, it was terribly painful when you lost your wife. In Scripture, there's a beautiful account of David who lost his infant son because of his wicked adultery and murder. King David, righteous man, committed murder and adultery, needed God's mercy. And when his son was taken from him as punishment from God, Scripture gives this account, David pleaded with God until his son died, and then he got up and he cleaned himself up. And everybody was freaked out that when the son actually died, that's when he cleaned himself up and and began to eat again. And so they said to him, "What, what on earth are you doing? He's died. And David's response was, he won't return to me, but I will go to be with him. This is always the faith of the godly. I will see my father again. I will see Rita Cuffey again. I will see, I believe, Jimmy Cuffy again, and that's a miracle. In 1 Corinthians 15 we read, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received in which also you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as it were, to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles who am not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful to hear the Apostle Paul saying that? I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now, If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. The firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, after that, those who are Christ at his coming, and then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, whom he, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. This is the word of the Lord. Now this is the theme of the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15. It's about the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. And the Apostle Paul is writing to men and women in Corinth, which is a city very, very much like Bloomington, very sophisticated as it sees itself. And he's reminding them that he preached good news to them and that they believe that good news. The Holy Spirit gave them the gift of believing the good news the Apostle Paul preached. So now they stood in the truth. They were firmly anchored in it. The Apostle Paul preached and those who continued in faith in his good news, his message, in his words, they were saved. Those who discontinued in faith in the good news, who stopped believing the message, who turned aside from the straight and narrow path of his words, They had believed in vain and were lost. If salvation, not in this life, but in the life to come, depended upon believing and receiving and standing in this message, what was the message? Well, the message is in verses 3 and 4. It's what he delivered. For I delivered to you as of first importance, nothing more important than this, what I also received. It didn't originate with him. And then here it is that Christ, Jesus, died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So this is the message Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The clearest statement of this is in Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that we deserve was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And then it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. And this is is the story of the gospel, that God has been pleased to put on Jesus, the sins of those that Jesus purchased for himself, of those that God chooses to save. And so if you believe in Jesus, God has plucked you out of the hole, and he's given you faith, and so the rest of your life, you have the privilege of confessing your sins. It's so weird that of all the things we do as a church, the thing that most upsets people is what? Then we begin our worship by confessing our sins. People just have a fit about it. We live in grace. Oh, apparently grace doesn't allow you to confess your sins. Well, you're, you're trying to earn God's good pleasure by confessing your sins. No, we're just trying to say we need Jesus. Okay? And so those who belong to Jesus are able to confess their sins. That is the mark of a Christian. A Christian is not lying about his sins. A Christian's not, no, that's not wrong. He may say that for a while to his wife, but sooner or later he'll come around. Right? Those who do not belong to Jesus will not confess their sins. Those who belong to Jesus live by confession those who do not belong to Jesus will not confess their sins. Those who belong to Jesus love to confess their sins. Hi. I didn't see you. So which are you? Hmm, <laughs> Rather a personal question. Which are you? Now it is true, as I mentioned earlier, that you can be in a fight with your wife and you can be denying that you sinned. Sometimes those denials can go on for a while. You can fool yourself. Generally you can't fool your wife. That's why she's a helpmate. Sometimes, when elders talk to people, and by the time an elder talks to somebody in this church, it's usually pretty serious. And sometimes, even then, they'll deny that they're a sinner. What does it say about our faith in Jesus and his death if we won't die? And you say, Well, it's not death to confess your sins. And I say, Yeah, it is. If you watch how people resist it, it must be death. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the world really refuse to confess sin? In other words, those who don't believe in Jesus, do they really refuse to confess sin? No, they confess sin all the time. They confess littering. They confess smoking within 30 feet of a doorway. They confess hate speech. What the world does is the world confesses that everything that the Christian holds precious is evil. And that everything that Christians condemn is good. The world is confessing all the time. And the world's confession is absolutely predictable. The world thinks that it's creative, but it's not. You absolutely can see decades ahead of time, what the world is going to confess. I have known for decades precisely what I'm reading today. And if I told people 30 years ago what they'd be reading today, nobody believed me. Nobody. Christians didn't believe me. Look, you, you have to fool yourself to not see what's coming with the world. The world is absolutely predictable. I always tell people, look, if a preacher is saying what is on the opinion page of the new york times it's not godliness you know if you're saying what the world says it's because you're a worldling you're a worldling both the world and christians confess sins the world confesses christian sins christians do not confess the world's sins Christians confess our sins. I am so tired of everybody refusing to allow Christians to confess our sins. The audacity of people refusing to let Christians humble themselves under the cross of Jesus Christ. And Christians will confess as sin what the Bible says is sin. And that's not hate speech. That's because we know that we must say who we are to God. And I'm telling you, you look around this congregation, and as I look, because I have the privilege of being a confessor of sorts to people here, (laughs) and I'm telling you, you would not believe all the sins that have been confessed by everybody sitting here. I mean, it's mind boggling. And they are awful sins. Remember David? Murder and adultery. The world confesses sins. The world points. You and you and you, 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 you. And the world's sins are all trivial. Man, you throw a piece of paper out of your car and you just wait and see what the person behind you does to you. But you bet another man, and they'll have a parade, a gay parade for you. The world focuses on trivial things for its morality. Okay? Christians are very serious in what we confess. Why? Well, because we follow what the Bible says, and the Bible never caters to us, it never flatters us, it never panders to us, it's not Facebook. And the Bible says, God hates divorce. God hates, and it goes all through all these different things. And so Christians confess sin. Now, why do we do that? Well, because Christians have hope. Well, why do we have hope? Well, it says in verse 4 that he was buried, so he bore our sins on the cross And then he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so for a Christian, when we confess sins, what we're saying is that we believe that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to pay for the Father's wrath against our sin. That's what it means to be a Christian. We have faith to confess our sins because Jesus bore them on the cross. That's why he died. He took our flesh and blood, and he took our sin. That's the gospel. And so Christians will confess their sin because they know that Jesus says he'll wash us. That's why you have communion. You have communion because you proclaim his death until he comes again by eating his body and blood. Why? Well, because that's the way we testify that Jesus has paid the price. He has turned aside his his father's wrath against us. And so we confess our sins. When we come forward and eat the meal, we're confessing our sins. We're proclaiming his death. What a twisted religion that proclaims the death of a man. But that's what we proclaim. We don't proclaim his resurrection at the table, at the sacrament. We proclaim his death because inside of us dwells no good thing. And so we come to feed on Jesus. Jesus. Okay, is everybody there? Now, here was a church, and this was their faith, this is what they had had preached to them. That Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead. That's the essence of the gospel, okay? And people in this church, what? Verse 12, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Isn't this weird? They're in the church, and the church is built on the apostles and prophets. The church is built upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what are they saying? Are they saying that Jesus didn't rise from the dead? No, they're not. What they're actually saying is that there is no resurrection of the dead. In other words, they're probably very sophisticated like the Sadducees. You remember Pharisees, Sadducees among the Jews. And the Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Listen, sophisticated people always deny the resurrection of the dead. Sophisticated people always deny the resurrection of the dead. They always believe that the people that believe in the resurrection of the dead are people who are weak. Okay? They're people that need to have something to hold on to. And they're materialists. Communism is utterly repulsive. Why? Because this is it. The entire communist system denies the existence of God and believes only that this life is all you have. That's how you can have Joseph Stalin wiping out all the peasant farmers. By the millions, starve them to death. Why? Well, because he had to, he had to break a few eggs to make an omelet. Okay, He had to kill the farmers in order to rip the soil from the farmers' hands. Any of you know farmers? You have to rip their soil from their hands. Any of you know farmers? Any of you read The Good Earth? Okay, listen. Stalin was a materialist, and if he had to kill millions in order to rip the soil out of the farmer's hands to transfer it to the state so that people could equally share in the means of production. It was nothing to him. He didn't worry about God's judgment, and he didn't worry about the people that died because that was just the price you had to pay in order to have people live. Okay? What about Peter Singer at Princeton? Told my son, you may not apply to Princeton. Why? They just hired Peter Singer. Who's Peter Singer? Well, Peter Singer's a philosopher from, from down under. He's an Aussie, Australia. And Peter Singer is sophisticated. What he says is that you should put a child who's been born into a probationary period and see how he develops. And he says, look, if that child is handicapped, like, say, for instance, my granddaughter, Mary Louise. She spends two years crying. Six hours a day feeding her. Two. And th- here's what Peter Singer says. He says, that a good dog is superior to a child like that, and that child should be killed. And so Princeton thinks, well, that's a wonderful professor of philosophy. I think we'll hire him. Peter Singer is a materialist. He denies the existence of God. He denies the judgment. All he believes in is what you can feel and touch. You have to kill a child. Go ahead and kill the child. Get yourself a dog. And man, there are a lot of people like that today, right? Okay? I mean, children are a pain. Moms, you with me? Why is it the, the row of... They're laughing and nobody else is laughing. <laughs> Grandparents are laughing. Parents are not laughing. <laughs> that was really pretty funny. All of you guys were laughing. <laughs> And so you think about this, that there is such a contrast between Christians and the world. The world confesses other people's sins and Christians confess our sins. The world denies that there's anything after death and Christians confess that it's appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And they confess their faith in the resurrection of the dead. And the world, oh man, the world is just falling all over itself, denying that death even hurts, right? You know that I have had it with celebrations of life. They make me puke. And you go, I can't believe you just said that. Well, listen... Somebody who, who goes to one of the small groups here and who is a wonderful woman, I won't name her, but she was talking, and she, I hadn't talked to her, but she was talking and she said, you know, I'm so tired of going to funerals where they cremate people and it's a celebration of life. She said, I want to go to a funeral and I want to grieve and I want to see the person I loved. And she said, it's so selfish. Isn't that Fascinating. Christians bury and Christians cry. So I'm not opposed to celebrations of life. We had one from my father, but what I want to do at a funeral is I want to cry. And the reason I want to cry is because I loved them. And it's not just true of my family, it's true of people in the church. You know, how can you not cry? Death is an enemy. But the world, oh, heck with it. We have celebrations of life. I remember being at one funeral. I was not conducting the funeral. I was attending it. And I got there early, which was a miracle. And I sat behind a row of elderly people. And as we prepared to bury somebody they were at least friends with, they all talked to each other about their visit to the casino. And laughed and told jokes. And that's how the world meets death. Have you been, how many funerals have you been, like I've been, where the whole basis of the funeral is telling jokes that the dead person used to tell? And it's like, is there any awareness of the existence of a holy God? Any at all? And that judgment faces us and that we have sin that that condemns us before a holy God? No, it's just laughter, jokes, cremation. Yeah, it's just death isn't an enemy. It's just a natural process. And that's also the reason that you have so many people writing these directives that say the minute I stop having fun in my life, you kill me. And you say, Well, no directive says that and I say, Well, that's basically what it says. I don't want to continue to live if my life is, you know, if I if I'm colorblind. I'm colorblind, by the way, so don't get offended for colorblind people, okay? Well, you say, no, nobody says kill me when I'm colorblind. And I say, okay, but it, all right, kill me when I have an ingrown toenail. You say, nobody says that. And I say, okay, kill me when I'm, you know, lose my right arm. Well, all of a sudden, when I say I lose my right arm, I'm beginning to speak truth. I lose my left leg. You ever been around somebody with diabetes who's lost a leg? It's horrible. Why is it horrible? It's horrible because of phantom pain. And they can't get rid of it. They have pain in a leg that they don't have. And it is horrible. And you say, well, nobody should have to live with that. I say, what about the woman who has been molested by her father when she's a child? Why not just off her? How much pain is that through all her life? And you say, well, now you're meddling. Because she's young. She should keep living. I say, okay, if we're going to start weighing how much suffering there is, on the one hand, diabetes with phantom pain, and on the other hand, a woman who has to remember her father that way, uh, what would you say? And I could keep going. I could talk about various things that people suffer. But listen, God is sovereign over our suffering. God is sovereign. And we don't have the right to off ourselves or to off our loved ones because all of a sudden they had a stroke and can't talk. God is the one that gives life and takes it. And it is basic to Christians to submit to God's dispensations when it comes to our lives. And yet the world is absolutely determined to seize God's prerogatives, God's authority, and to claim them for itself. And so the world offs little babies in the womb if they're going to be unwanted, you know, some among them were saying there was no resurrection of the dead. And listen, this is always what sophisticated people say. Sophisticated people are utopians. They create the communist system, they create socialism. They have celebrations of life, they have directive orders, they abort, they, they say that a good dog is better than a defective child. Sophisticated people are so sophisticated that they are fools. Because they have no place for suffering, none. And the first place that they deny suffering is the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, who who bore our sins on that cross. You know, I honestly say to you, how can you not love Jesus? Honestly. He did not deserve your sins. He didn't deserve mine. And you have sins. You don't need a preacher to tell you your sins. You go to bed at night, mourning over them. You get up and take a shower. You mourn over them. And he bore our sins on his body. And how can you not love him, honestly? What is it about Jesus that's so offensive to us? Well, you know, when you come under the cross, there's no pride. And that's really, in the end, most of us who go to hell will go because of our pride. The sad thing is that we will, we will be damned not because we don't want to humble ourselves before Jesus, but because we don't want to humble ourselves in front of our wives and our husbands and our, our mom and dad, our grandparents, the preacher. And it's like if you could just get your eyes off other people and look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. There's no offense in him. Humble people love Jesus, and that's why he, he had nothing to do with the sophisticated, except he just constantly, constantly condemned them. He made fun of them. He threw their tables. He whipped them. <laughs> the sophisticated people, Jesus had nothing to do with them. But the humble people, Jesus loved. You know, one of the things that's so awful about the church today is that the church wants to be on the east side of Bloomington. And that's so offensive, Jesus would never have gone to the east side of Bloomington. (laughs) Sorry, Eric. How many of you live on the east side of Bloomington? Yeah, yeah. You know Jesus would, would have nothing to do with you. Now, those of you that aren't from Bloomington, let me explain. The east side of Bloomington, if you look at the U.S. census statistics, has average of 16 years of schooling Average income of $575,000. That's because they're paid by the taxpayer. Come on, laugh, it's funny. I knew that I had moved from the east side of Bloomington to the west side of Bloomington when, while my house was being built, it got broken into four times. (laughs) And on the east side... We had only once, when there was a man in the church that was really mad at me, we we locked our door for a couple nights. Went on vacation, never locked our doors. We've been vandalized at this church, what, ten times now? You know? Jesus had nothing to do with the sophisticates who had no fear of God, who thought death was just wonderful, crass materialists, utopians, all the little sins Jesus had nothing to do with them Jesus gave himself to the people who are real sinners and made no bones about it <laughs> you know people that sin honestly Jesus gave himself to them and so when we read that it says some among them said there was no resurrection of the dead we know exactly what this is these are people that can hope in Jesus can believe in Jesus being raised from the dead, believe that he died for our sins, but they're sophisticated enough that they don't need any hope after this life. You know? Religion is helpful in this life. We don't have to have an afterlife to have hope. These were the Sadducees, and the, this is the university. You know? Imagine going into a class at the university where they proclaim the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> you know? It's, it's a howler. Right? And if you ever heard well yeah you might have heard it once or twice. And so because humble people sin and because humble people don't deny their sins humble people are absolutely bruised and battered. And we have to have a place to go. We cannot stand the burden on our heart. We can't stand it. And so the prostitutes and the crystal meth and the homosexuals and the greedy Matthew the tax, all those people hung with Jesus. And it infuriated the east side of Bloomington people. And they said, why are you hanging with all the sinners? And Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinners. The Apostle Paul says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses. Verse 15 of God, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead aren't raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And then, that most horrible statement of all horrible statements. Honestly. Honestly. You're still in your sins. You're still in your sins. Listen, make no mistake about it. Easter matters. Easter matters. Because if there is no resurrection, there is no hope of forgiveness of sins. God has ordained it in such a way that either He vindicated His Son when He took our sins and died. Or he didn't. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ isn't alive. Because the two are bound together like this. But if Christ raised his son, vindicated him, vindicated him, okay? DNA, vindicated. If God vindicated his son by raising him from the dead, then all of those who have died to their pride and confessed their sin and looked to the cross all those people will also be raised. That's the meaning of Easter. That's the meaning of Easter. And so the question every Easter is, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? You remember at the end of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Do you believe in it? We all said it, but do you believe it? Because if you believe in the resurrection of the dead, then you must, absolutely must go to Jesus. You have to go to Jesus. Don't lie to yourself. Do not lie to yourself. I think specifically about those from shame cultures. And people from shame cultures are just always worried about what other people think about them. And look... The one thing for sure is, if you go to Jesus, people will despise you and laugh at you. And so if shame is your thing, you won't ever go to Jesus because your father and your mother and your grandparents and your friends will all look at you and say, he must have done something really bad to need Jesus, or he's weak he doesn't have the strength to live without Jesus. And tell me, how much strength does it take to live without Jesus? It doesn't take any at all. Any idiot can live without Jesus. What takes strength is to face your sin and to just say guilty with no explanation, your honor. (laughs) Right? That's the hard thing. It doesn't take any strength at all to say guilty with an explanation, Your Honor. Or not guilty, Your Honor. All you need is a lawyer, you know. Just get yourself a good lawyer and you can pull that one off. You know, didn't we just read about some dude, some football player who was just acquitted and then his lawyer immediately said, if you can find the money, you're bankrupt now, but if you can find the money, you know, I'll go back and appeal the previous conviction, you know. It's like, lawyers, my goodness, lawyers can do a lot. Ever get a speeding ticket in Louisville? I got a speeding ticket in Louisville, and instantly, my mailbox was inundated with lawyers wanting to take my case on. But I was guilty. And so, I paid the stupid fine. You know? Listen, dear dear souls, don't be offended by me talking about the east side and the west side. Don't be offended by anything I've said. You have to particularize pride. My point this morning is not about communism, east side, west side, or littering, and abortion, and all that stuff. My point is to make you see that we have very, very sophisticated ways of refusing to look at our sin and until we shut up and stop defending ourselves and stop um, worrying about what people are going to think about us and just say this is who I am we cannot come to Jesus and here's the bad thing if we don't come to Jesus we will die in our sin and God will damn us that's the truth Now, you say, why would God do that? That's nasty. And here's the answer. If you gave your son, your only begotten son, your perfectly obedient son, to die for someone, and that person turned and spit on your son, how would you treat that person? God has given his precious son for you. And if you do not honor that son, what do you think God is going to do about you? He has made a way for you to confess your sins and be forgiven. And if you refuse to take that path, how do you think a father is going to treat you? Come on, those of you who are fathers and sons, you know. God is not to be Trivialized. God is not to be lied about. God has vindicated his son. He raised him from the dead. Oh man, they put a big stone over the... They put a seal on... The, they put guards, you know, and it's laughable. You know, God is God. And if God will raise his son from the dead, there is no force in the universe that can stand against God when he vindicates his son. And then God said that he has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every time I hear that phrase, I always think of Hitler and Mao Zedong and Stalin and Donald Trump. You know, I can't figure out what happens to us. Well, here's what's going to happen to you, Donald Trump, You will be on your knees before the one who made you and you have known him all your life. You have never left the airwaves of the United States which proclaim Jesus day and night. You say you have no sin to be forgiven. You say you don't believe in heaven and hell. What do you think God is going to do to a man who says those things? Forget politics. Politics don't matter. That Donald Trump and you will bow the knee before God. I don't care what you think of your parents. I don't give a rip. You will face God, and your daddy ain't gonna be there to help you. And neither's your mommy, and neither's your grandparents. And there will be no excuse because this morning you have heard. On the other hand, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You don't like me talking about hell, but let me tell you, nobody in Scripture talked about hell and judgment more than Jesus did. (coughs) Jesus wasn't just Velveteen Rabbit. Remember what I said about the east side of Bloomington and Jesus. He just never stopped condemning them for their pride. But he was completely tender and merciful to those who were sinners. He understands us. He is tempted, like in all ways as we are, yet without sin. And so there's no sin we have that we can't take to Jesus. He says, come. You say, well, why would I come when he's so hard-nosed? He's going to judge me. And I say, well, he doesn't judge you if you come. If you come, he accepts you. Those who come to me, Jesus says what? I will never cast out. (laughs) So, okay, so is Jesus appealing to you? And you say, yeah, but you aren't. I say, (laughs) that was my wife, my wife who just let out a laugh when I said, I'm not appealing. What was that about? (laughs) It's true though, isn't it? Go on, tell them. All right. So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Please, please turn away from your pride. Please turn away from your pride. His yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And listen... He himself said, his father said, I've given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. He is Lord to the glory of the Father. Willing, unwilling, it doesn't matter. You will bow and you will confess. Now, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So both the Father and the Son have testified that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And listen, there is no freedom, none in the world, like worshiping the Son of God. That's what you were made for. That's what every daffodil opens up to do. That's what the birds do. That's what a newborn baby does. When a newborn baby cries, it's not because it wants milk. It's because it's testifying to the glory of God. That's what all the stars are doing. And that's what the wicked do when they go to their grave and deny the existence of God. They are testifying to the glory of God by coming under his judgment. Okay? Everybody will bow. Every tongue will confess. And so you have the wonderful joy of joining with us who are a bunch of sinners. My wife says I'm unattractive. And so, hey, if I'm unattractive, you're unattractive, let's get together. And that's what the church is. Listen, that's what the church is. Please, it is, yeah, I'm in a suit. I, had, I debated, you know, should I wear blue jeans this Sunday or a suit? And I thought, you know, in honor of Jesus, I'm going to wear a suit even if you think badly of me for it. I want to honor Jesus. I want to give him praise. Listen, uh, my Chinese brothers and sisters, I am sorry that I have not followed my manuscript this morning. And that's why I always, I just don't know what to do about that. But I've tried to be simple, okay? And I do want you to understand. And so if you ever don't understand, please talk to me. Okay? Okay. Well, it's fitting for those of us who belong to Jesus to join in praise again, because this is the day that God raised him from the dead. And so we're going to end with a rousing song. It's, it's fitting for us to give him our worship. Let's pray.